You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weinkirch. How are you, Dave? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am well. This is uh, a, a very exciting show. I think we have yeah. today. Um, it's always a good day when our guest, uh, when we get the, when we get this 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 fine person as our guest. <laughs> well, well, the whole show is about cocktail mysteries, right? And uh, you know, this sort of came out of you and I talking about some of the the things that you were looking for. Um, you know, obviously. Over the years, we have looked for all types of mm-hmm. arcane bits of spirits, history, and ingredients and techniques. Some of these drinks are easy to figure out; others <laughs> and it, are a mystery. <laughs> and it and it and it gets hard too because you know you can't really copyright a recipe, right? You can you can yeah. copyright a name. So once the recipe's out there, it's out there, which is why you know certain brands like. Coca-Cola or KFC, the recipe has to be top secret and nobody can know the whole formula because they keep those fairly closely held. They absolutely do. So once it's out there, it's out there because you can't mm-hmm. really trademark it or copyright it. So, you know, that that is a big problem of drinks. So I think, you know, a lot of it is just to keep them secret and uh keep exclusive. something for you to sell but exactly. not everybody agrees with that strategy as we'll that's see. true that's true well well we we are going to bring on um the top cocktail mystery solver that that i know and i can't really think of anybody better than our old yeah, friend he's, he's, he's number one jeff beach bum barry from uh new orleans from uh Bar Latitude 29 and author of many books on uh, tiki drinks. So uh, we'll get Jeff on the line in a minute. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for joining us today. I, I wish we were doing this live at uh, your Bar Latitude 29 in, in New Orleans and in, in the French Quarter. But uh, we'll have I mean, to set if up. If I had a this. Saturn in my hand right now, uh, ooh, this thing would go very differently. <laughs> <laughs> the conversational flow would be. It would flow like a river flows into the sea and submerges itself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, the last time I was there that I can remember, um, you had brought out many big bowls of delicious punch and, and, and cocktails and all types of concoction in these giant oversized punch bowls. Thankfully, I was not there alone, but with a, a group of folks and a group of long straws took care of the of all the drinks. But uh, I'm uh, looking forward to being back there in, in July for Tales of the Cocktail. So uh, we're looking forward to that Why? too. We thought of no better person than yourself who has solved several cocktail mysteries. Uh, you are a Cocktail mystery sleuth is that is that too much to I'll take uh, it. <laughs> a detective cocktail private eye I don't mm-hmm. I don't know feels Love very them. like uh, noir esque uh, you need like a trench coat and uh, a fedora or gum shoes uh, yeah exactly <laughs> it seems like there have been quite a few real like hard to solve mysteries in the in the tiki world is there a reason for that do you think. Oh, yeah, because uh, these recipes back in the day from the 30s, pretty much up until the 70s, 
were very valuable trade secrets. And the recipes were obtained through various forms of subterfuge, you know, industrial espionage, stealing employees from a place that knew the mm-hmm. recipes so that you could serve them. Don Beach, who basically started the whole thing with his menu um, and his very original take on Caribbean punches, um, he was so secretive that he never published anything in his lifetime. And wow. he went to great lengths to keep other people from finding out his recipes uh, to the point of encoding them. That makes it hard for the historian, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I first found out about this code thing. Um, well, first of all, when I first started getting interested in making cocktails and making these kinds of cocktails, because mm-hmm. Los Angeles in the 80s, these were the only drinks that were actually still good. Wait, wait, wait. There were, there were some good martinis to be had. <laughs> in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did have. Musso's had good ones. Uh, Musso's exactly. Yes. Uh, the Frolic Room had. Oh, the Frolic Room. Excellent ones. Bordner's. Oh, oh yeah, Bordner's, and also let us not forget the Irish Coffee at Tom Bergen's. Yeah, uh, that's also very good. But that's about. You're right, though. Other yeah. than those, there was there was really uh, much. The margaritas actually. Uh, the margaritas at uh, Lucy's El Adobe and. Uh, yeah, those were good. Lola were good, but there was a very small amount yep. of hand right. place you could go to get a decent drink. And these were the ones that shown, largely because the people who were still serving these top secret recipes in places that were still open that I could go to were making them the way they made them in the 1930s and 40s. This just. I don't know whether that was out of habit or because they just knew it tasted better or in a time when everybody was using bottled sour mixes, they were using fresh squeezed citrus and they were making their own tinctures and syrups the way they always did. They weren't just buying Rose's grenadine, you know, and the drinks were complex and delicious and nobody would tell me what was in them. My local, the Tiki Tea in East Hollywood, still there, uh, started in 1961 by Ray Boone, an ex-Don the Beachcomber employee who stole those recipes and used them as the foundation Mm -hmm. of his menu. When he was still alive, he died when he was uh, pushing 90, I think, in the in the late 90s. But uh, when I got to know him a little bit from the other side of the bar, I would just sit at a stool and I would say, hey, hey, Ray, what's in this? This drink's great. What's in it? And he would go, rum and fruit juice. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, OK, well, what about this one? I really like this one. Rum and fruit juice. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Ray, is this the original zombie, the way Don the Beach made it? No. Can you make one? I could. He's like, well, what do you need? What can we bring you? Because um, there's no mint here. I can't make it. I was like, I can go to Ralph's market. Yeah. <laughs> no, no good. <laughs> like, no, not Ralph's mint. <laughs> it was like that everywhere I went. Before the internet, the idea that anybody else would be interested in this was just pure fantasy. Yeah. If there's one takeaway to this entire session is you have to go out and you have to meet people and you have to make connections. And shoe leather is very important. I mean, I was trained as a journalist, um, and not as a detective. I just ended up, that's all journalists are detectives, basically. Sure. I mean, well, you know, I, I know some more, but yeah. should be. <laughs> but, okay, fair the enough. Good ones, the good, the good ones. ones. Yeah. The good ones. Um, you know, the ones who can bring down presidential administrations. It's the same thing. I mean, you have to meet people, you have to know how to talk to them, and you have to know what you're looking for. I mean, you have to do your research even to know what you're looking for. I mean, if I hadn't been collecting old tiki menus, and if I didn't have it, an old 1940s Don the Beach Corp menu, I wouldn't even know the names of the drink I was looking for. Or that the drinks I was seeing on the tiki tea menu were the same drinks from the 1930s. I'd have no idea. They'd just be a bunch of random names. Anyhow, long story short, I met my wife, Anine, in uh, 1991, after five years of getting absolutely nowhere trying to figure out what's in these drinks, you, I'd go to the library, I'd look up old magazines, 
if there were any recipes, they sucked. They couldn't possibly be <laughs> the drinks that launched a 40-year cocktail. Right. Every printed zombie was just garbage. And I was like, why, why was this drink so famous? Uh, including the one in the old, one of the few vintage cocktail books that I could find back then in a used bookstore, the Esquire Guide from like the 1950s. And anyway, I was basically stonewalled. And then uh, I, I met Anine and she took me to a party. And at this party, I met a guy named Charles Schneider. And we were talking and I was telling him about, yeah, I went to Easter Island and I made this short film. He goes, oh, you like Tiki stuff? I know a guy you should meet. And he introduced me to um, Sven Kirsten, a German cinematographer that he was working with on music videos. And said, oh, you like cocktails? Oh, there's a guy you need to meet. He was an art director on this uh, movie I did. And his name was Ted Haig. For <laughs> <laughs> this totally random chain of events by getting yeah. out of my house uh, um, and I met Ted Hay, who was the only other person in Los Angeles that I knew of at the time who was into vintage cocktails. And we both bonded over the fact that we could not find the liquors we needed to make the recipes that we could find in books, like pimento liqueur. His his white whale was a, his Moby Dick was the forbidden fruit liqueur that he couldn't find. Mm -hmm. That one we still can't get. So yeah. that's yeah. about the only one, though. Which yeah, is and a prunel, like a, a prune yeah. flavored liqueur. Anyway. Long story short, we start going to bars and of course, nobody's serving anything decent, but um, but Ted would take a big pile of cocktail books from the 1890s or, you know, Jerry Thomas's book from the 62 and and all these books from uh, the 1920s. And he would he would go to like the frolic room. We did go to the frolic mm -hmm. room, with books in his hand and he'd go, can you make me a corpse survivor number two? And then he'd point in his <laughs> he'd point to the thing and the bartender would go, get the fuck out of here. What are you yeah, <laughs> quick, lock the door. Here comes that asshole again. Right. But Ted oh, was the, that with the books again. Yeah. yeah. It was the outgoing guy that I was not. I was more of an introvert. So between the two of us, when we went to the right bars, Trader Vicks and Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. I, mean, I would go to Trader Vicks and I would do the industrial espionage thing. I would stand near the bartender who was working the Hamilton Beach Blender and I would watch what he did and I'd watch him jigger things and I'd try to figure out reverse engineer a recipe yeah. where Ted would just tip the guy 20 bucks and go, hey, what's in this drink? And um, <laughs> I would just say, well, well, that's that. And the other thing, you know, so uh, Ted was a big help. He first started helping me uh, crack these things, and it was, but it was always talking directly to people who were still working. Mm -hmm. It happened to be in the right place. Luck is a huge part of uh, journalism or detection or whatever you want to call it. Pure blind luck. Meeting a uh, a client at the time I was in doing advertising stuff for movies. And uh, I met a, a client wanted to go have Chinese food at a place called Madame Wu's in Santa Monica. And uh, Anita and I didn't want to go because, you know, who wants Cantonese food in the 90s? You want Szechuan or Hunan or whatever. Got there early. We went into the bar. And the bartender was this old Filipino guy, Tony Ramos, who handed us a cocktail menu. This in itself was very unusual to mm -hmm. be handed a cocktail menu. And on it, because I had done all this collecting of menus and things, I, I saw the Don the Beachcomber's Greatest Hits. And I said to the guy, he was a little scary. He had a missing uh, missing finger, sort of a Yakuza kind of thing. I don't know if mm -hmm. they do that. but That's anyway. the Tiki Mafia. Yeah, Tiki Mafia. He's <laughs> a intimidating guy, but I, I, I asked him, you know, um, in my best impersonation of Ted Haig, did you ever work at Don the Beachcombers? And uh, he goes, yes. And he started telling me how he served Frank Sinatra and Navy Grogs and how um, he did this and that and, and, and worked in this place and that place and the China Trader in uh, Burbank mm -hmm. where Lee Marvin and Bob Hope would go drink. And, uh, <laughs> and I was, oh man, that's amazing. So that became a drink lab. I would go, he was making them the way Don, the way he made mm -hmm. them at Beachcombers. Ray Boone and the Tiki Tea they were doing their own versions of these drinks. 
but he was making them exactly the way he used to make them. So I could look at my vintage menus from 70 years ago or whenever it was back then and look at a drink like the Nui Nui. And I have no idea what's in it, mm-hmm. um, but I could see it on his menu, Tony's menu, and I could order it and I could taste history. And then it was up to me to try to figure out what was in it. Well, that was impossible um, because of all these like tinctures and syrups and things that, that he, none, none of the bottles behind his bar had labels, by the way, the syrups, the stuff he made at home right. Brought, right. didn't have labels and neither the Tiki teas. It was like either something red or something brown or, or whatever. I started asking those, well, was Tony, what's in What's in this? We started, I started bringing more people in. I brought Sven in. I bought a bunch of other Tiki people who were, who were gradually meeting each other. And that became sort of a drink lab meeting place where Tony became our hero. And he just looked at us a bunch of stupid nerds, pretty much. But um, <laughs> hey, it was business, though. Business. Yeah. People in the bar. No, that, you know, yeah. the, the median age of the diner at Madame Lou's was about 70 years old. I mean, they've been going right. there, since, you know, Eisenhower or whatever. So, um, we were the only ones in the bar. He was making money. Um, Madame Wu herself was happy. She was like this 80-year-old Chinese dowager lady would wear uh, silk tunics and Swifty Lazar glasses. She was actually mm-hmm. cool. I brought Ted in. Ted wasn't a tiki guy, but he was a cocktail guy. And, and Ted does his charming Ted act. And um, he gets some recipes from Tony. The first Don Beach recipes I ever got were because I happened to meet Ted. And I happened to go mm-hmm. sheer luck to a Chinese restaurant I didn't want right. to go to. Mm-hmm. And the- Kind of lined up, you know, so it was stuff like this. Now, then um, gradually the circle of people I knew widened who had this same arcane interest and and they started introducing me to other people. And after about 10 solid years of looking for the real zombie recipe, which Tony couldn't make, he said, I can't make that. I don't have the stuff. And uh, and uh, he wouldn't tell me you know, some of his other things. He wouldn't tell me it wasn't an Amy Grog, <clears throat> for example. I met a lady named Jennifer Santiago who was living in North Carolina at the time I was in LA, but she, uh, I was introduced through a mutual friend and her father, Richard Santiago was a major D at Don's in the 1930s. And she said, well, I have this, this recipe book in his papers, you know, he's long deceased, mm-hmm. but is this something you'd be interested in? And I said, yes. And uh, <laughs> she was kind enough to send me a Xerox copy of this 1937. Wow. I put out the date through various right. things in the booklet. Um, some handwritten, some typed in recipes. I mean, it looked to me like recipes were being invented by Don as this guy was working because the back of the, the front of the booklet was all typed. Um, and it was about the size of this. Yeah, of yeah, an, yeah. Uh, a vest pocketbook, yeah. yeah. It's like a little address book. Yeah. The front of it was typed and then the back of it was all handwritten. Like these things, okay, here's a new recipe by Don and, and it's in there. And one of them was the Nui Nui and another one was the zombie and it said, uh, original version zombie punch mm. and they were in fucking code um <laughs> seriously they were in code the yeah. the newy newy said one half lime one quarter uh i don't even know if these were parts or or ounces or whatever one mm-hmm. quarter number two one quarter number four um three ounces of saint croix and then a dash number eight and it's like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm, what am I? How am I ever going to supposed or to? You were this? like so yeah. close, right? Like yeah, you're yeah. opening up this yeah. book, and it's you're like, so this exciting. is it. And then, <laughs> and then the zombie was the, the zombie only had one thing in code. Everything was spelled out. Wow. Yeah. Twelve, fourteen ingredients were all spelled out, except for a uh, half an ounce of Don's mix. Mm. Well, what the hell am I going? to? I mean, you know, I, I can't make yeah. the trip. I mean, right. it's, it's just impossible. And then in the 
in the back of the very back of the book, there's some scrawled out things says there was a recipe for new Don's mix. Oh, great. I can make a zombie finally and figure yeah. out if the drink was really any good or not. Recipe was um, two parts grapefruit juice to one part number four. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, you can get that at any supermarket. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Boy, Dave and I, I just have need to, do you know, do you want a pint? Do you want a quart? Yeah, and Dave, <laughs> you, 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 you could have borrowed our decoder ring, the, the Don <laughs> decoder ring, and we could have totally solved this for you. But. <laughs> well, I can get you some number four. You don't want to know how. Yeah. But. Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, two steps forward, five steps back. And um this confirmed, though, this 1948 Saturday Evening Post article that Sven Kirsten had unearthed in his research. Uh, he was more interested in just the design and the decor. And yeah, yeah. I was the drink culture. Guy. Yeah, I was the drink guy. And uh, uh, and he gave me a copy of this 1948 article that talked about the secrecy at Don's and mm -hmm. how everybody was ripping him off and everybody wanted to open up a place like this because it was making money hand over fist. And they talked about how he had encoded his recipes and the bottles behind the bar said number four, number two instead of what was actually in them. So that if you got hired away for more money to make these drinks somewhere else, you get behind the bar and you go, where's your number two? Where's your number four? I can't make these drinks. And, and it worked actually. That's an old trick because that's uh, basically a version of that was behind the Pisco Punch at the bank exchange in San Francisco where Duncan Nickel compounded the punch in the basement in the morning, the, uh, the, the concentrate for it. And then he mixed it with fresh lemon juice and distilled water upstairs for people. But nobody ever got to see what went into it and what went into his gum syrup. Uh, you know, so there's all kinds of rumors. Right. It was cocaine. It was this. It was that. Do, do we know today what it was or is it still? We got, we got a general idea that it was a pineapple syrup. Guillermo Toro Lira, who is a great historian of this stuff, does think that there was some coca involved. Mm. Uh, in the 1890s, and that's quite possible, you know, uh, but uh, I don't think there's any proof uh, other than just descriptions of how the drink got you very drunk, but all kinds of drinks had those descriptions. <laughs> and when you get the recipe, the thing that's making you really drunk is it turns out alcohol. Right. So <laughs> No mystery in that, but yes. Right. No, that, that's a, a traditional response to having a very popular drink. That's interesting to know because... Um... So this is just standard practice for those kind of things. Yeah. Well, well, if you got if you're the one place in town where you can get this drink yeah. uh, back in the day, that was one response to right. that. The other was to hand everybody the recipe, which is what Henry Carl Ramos did. He had like cards printed up. You know, you could get the recipe. He had no problem handing it to you because the drink is a pain to make. <laughs> and uh, you know, like, be my you're going to go and have him make that. it for you rather than, than sit there and monkey around with egg whites and this and that and the other thing. And, just, and it has to be shaken for a very for long, a long time. time. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, he's like, safe. here, go, go ahead, knock yourselves out. Right. <laughs> Here's the recipe. Save it ain't going to do you no good. Right. <laughs> well, I, so Jeff, at this point, like, how long had you been searching for the zombie like recipe? About six or seven years. And there were still three years to go. And but was there any point in this, you get the notebook, you're like, maybe I should just forget this. Like I should just go just have a, have a different cocktail or you, or you just yeah, now hell bent. I did. No, I, I did. But I kept, you know, I kept meeting more people uh, or being turned on to more people or getting, uh, you know, getting leads as a journalist would say. Right. Um, although it was much more casual than that. 
And you have to keep in mind that I was not, this was not what I was doing for a living. I mean, this was not yeah. this was a hobby. This was right. strictly a hobby. All I want, and my, my motive was strictly selfish. I just wanted to know how to make. <laughs> just want to make a zombie. Yeah. I just wanted Is that to make too much to ask in this world, you know? Yeah. I, I like tiki bars. I like going to them. Uh, they were all disappearing. And I, I realized at some point that I, if I wanted to keep drinking these drinks, I'd have to learn how to make them. So anyway, two years passed from uh, this 1937 notebook. And uh, I, I meet a guy named, uh, not, not a guy, I meet his wife, Kathy Riddle. Uh, she's living out in Palm Springs, and she was the uh, she's the widow of a guy named Hank Riddle, who was the general manager of the Palm Springs Don the Beach Cover, and uh, had a long history with Don going back to World War II and all this. And um, that was probably a pretty fun bar, I'm thinking. Oh yeah, that's I mean that's I mean back in the day when Palm Springs was for popping, people. Yeah. Nothing but celebrities going in there. Yeah, Sinatra yeah. was the room, and he would get really pissed off. Uh, what I was told was that. The the, uh, the most trying time for everybody in that restaurant and the staff was the time that Sinatra came through the front door and got to his private room because he'd have to cross the restaurant and there'd be like 10 people like, folks, sing me happy birthday. It's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd be really so pissed off by the time he got in that room. That uh, Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> it took some doing. Uh, there was a lot of reluctance on their part, but um, I was able to go out to Palm Springs, meet them, interview them. At this point, after all this time, I kind of almost given up, but I thought, well, maybe there's maybe there's something going on in there and in, in the in the recipes that Hank Riddle had that were different. Mm -hmm. And he had two books, and I was able to Xerox them uh, frantically in a Kinko's ninety minutes trying to get all this stuff done because they wanted it back. Amazing. To so so uh, I, I looked up the Nui Nui, and it was the same thing, number two and number four. But and this was a nineteen fifties book, same thing, uh, a dress book, shirt pocket. Oh, yeah. But there was a mimeograph of a 1970 mm. Palm Springs um, bar manual, when to empty ashtrays. And right. It was like 20 pages long, closing duties, opening duties. But then at the last bit, there were three pages of mimeograph recipes, you know, in blue ink, like I used to get in elementary school back in yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a key to Don's dashes. It was like Don's dashes one through eight in the back. And number two turned out to be Herb Saint. And number four turned oh. out to be grenadine. So I went, fuck. Yes. Yes. All that time for, for <laughs> grenadine? For grenadine? And herb saying. You know, yeah. So I go home and I, I, I go down into the, break out the blender, buy everything and make the drink. It's the worst fucking drink I've ever had. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe people just had no taste back then. You know, I, I don't know. I went to drown my sorrows as one does at my local, which was the Tiki Tea. And at this point, Ray had passed on, but his son, Mike, um, Boone was the head bartender there. And I started telling him my troubles as one does. And he just said, well, he was chuckling that I was trying to find out the recipes to begin with, you know, cause right. I would never would. And, um, he did toss me a bone though. He said, well, you know, there weren't just Don's dashes. There were Don's spices. So maybe mm. what he's referring to is spices. Number two and spices. Number four. I said, do you know what those are? He goes, well, when I was a kid, I went with my, my dad, you know, Ray out to, out to this place called um, it's called Astro Flavors Company in Lancaster, mm -hmm. out near the airport, and they had like you know all these numbered syrups that were they were making specially for Don and and other people in the business at that point. And um, and I remember they used to there would be these guys in lab coats and there'd be these uh, you know spigot things and they would like taps and they would fill up a bottle of uh, Astro Flavors number two and Astro Flavors number four and Astro Flavors number six and you know he was blowing my mind and I, I said. Um, 
Mike, do you know what number two, number four was? He goes, no, I was like eight years old at the time. I don't mm-hmm. know. I did. What do I know? Right. We didn't use them anymore. You know, it's like the guy who owned the company, he died of cancer in the sixties or something like that. So, so all right, dead end. And then yeah. a year after that, through another friend, I met a guy named Bob Esmino, who was an 80 year old retired bartender who had worked all over Los Angeles for decades and decades and decades. And he was trying to launch a syrup company of like pre-mixes, margarita mix, orgeat and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to talk to me because he thought that maybe I could help him publicize his company. I wanted to talk to him because he was a bar manager at the Contiki chain. It was a rival in Trader Bix. It was a white tablecloth, fine dining, very expensive place. I started talking to him and and uh, I wanted recipes and he just wanted to pimp his company, but we eventually found common ground. Before I ever got the recipes from him, I, I asked him, you know, at the Contiki, Bob, did you ever use something called uh, Spices Number 4, Astro Flavors? Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. That was uh, Bob's company. Yeah, you died of cancer. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, um, Number 4 was a cinnamon syrup. Just about fell off my st- yeah, he's like, what? Is that easy? You know, yeah. And uh, and I said, what about number two? And he goes, ah, just use spice rum and you'll be fine. Uh, and was, <laughs> so that would make me suspicious. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. That you'll be fine thing. Mm. Yeah. So all right. So this is where the reverse engineering comes in, where you just have to do some guesswork. I mean, my published version of spices number two may not have anything to do with Don's, but I think it's close. So here's what I, I figured. If, if the drink has number four and number two in it, and number four is cinnamon, then there's no cinnamon in number two. What would be the point? Right. So I went and I bought a bunch of spiced rums, uh, Captain Morgan, Sailor Jerry, Ensign Pulvery, and all these different spiced rums. And uh, they all had one thing in common, aside from just being terrible, which was that they all had a vanilla and allspice. So I thought, well, if cinnamon's number four, then I'm going to leave that out. And I was left with vanilla and allspice. Put those two together and just sort of like cobbled together a, a number two and tried these in the drink. And it was delicious. And it's actually on the latitude menu now. And it's just like, um, it was absolutely delicious. Like, okay, great. And now I knew what number four was and I could make a zombie. Finally, I could make a 1934 zombie um, or 37. That was delicious too. That was like that one secret little ingredient. Mm. Just like, so no herb saint. Oh, no there herb saint. But it was like uh, eight drops of dashes. Now, herb saint was also a dash. <sighs> dashes number... That's number two. And this is like, so anyway, there was like six drops. I put six drops. You drop. think it was like Morse code between the dots and the dashes that you're trying to tell you something? <laughs> yeah, it spelled out something. Right, it's like. <laughs> three dots of the dash. Spelled out to piss off. Right. You're a schmuck anyway, you're just, Vic. You're yeah. stealing my recipes. Yeah. Right. So, so this, well, Trader Vic was my hero because he published everything, you know. Right, yeah. He was a multimillionaire when he wrote his book in 1972. What have I got to lose? You know, so, uh, and right. he, I think he thought the same way Ramos did. Why are you going to yeah. make these drinks at home? You're going to have a much right. better. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, what, that's what I think about your drinks, Jeff. Like, when I go to Latitude, I mean, I, 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 it would never occur to me to try to make them at home. <laughs> I don't that's why I go to your bar. I mean, that's is it Latitude. It's like, I get at home, I just drink bourbon on the rocks. You know, it's like, who is this? I don't want to spend 20 minutes making it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's, I mean, I make a lot of cocktails at home, but they're, you know, they're always very simple. I'm not going to break out 14 ingredients. You know, I got to put you to work on the cyclone punch. This is, this is my number one mystery that has yet to be solved. And partly because there's nobody living I could ever talk to about it. It's a drink that's been gone for a very long time. 
And it was the uh, the drink at Dooner's Hotel in Philadelphia building torn down 100 years ago. You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. things. Uh, but Dooner's Hotel was very sporty. It was where all the gents went to eat roast ducks. And uh, they had a rule there that a duck never spent longer than 13 minutes in the oven. So it was very rare. And just like under hot, hot fire for 13 minutes comes out. And then you have Cyclone Punch. They brought the King of Hawaii there in 1881, David Kalakaua. And Kalakaua was a man who liked to drink. He was on world tour. He'd been drinking with the crowned heads of Europe. And he was was in good shape. And uh, he sees this thing on the menu where somebody's drinking a Cyclone Punch. And he goes, I'll have one of those. And they go, "Uh, you know, you might want to be careful about that one. And he goes, ha, 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 and, and has one. Then he has another. And now they're like, um, your majesty, uh, you know, uh, two. Mm. Uh, and then he has a third one. Well, th- there are two accounts of what happened. Either he ran out the door and started turning handsprings between the trolley tracks that went Amazing. by on Penn Street there in Philly, and then gave a leap and a whoop and shimmied up a lamp a lamp post and uh, extinguished the light. That was when they still had gas lights. Uh, boarded a streetcar, ran screaming up and down the aisle, and knocked down several <laughs> of the cops who came to collar him. That was one version. Oh or maybe it, was, it wasn't a light post. Maybe it was a right. telegraph post he shimmied up. And then he serenaded the crowd with the Hawaiian national anthem. And he was a very accomplished musician and one of the people uh, whom we owe the ukulele to. So, oh, okay. you know, good on him. And then uh, climb up onto the roof of the streetcar and ro- crawl up to the front and lean over and put his head down in the operator's face <laughs> and try to pull the operator out. So <laughs> something happened after, after his cyclone punches. And I want that drink. Uh, when when, when the police finally caught him, he said, they asked him his name. He said, my name is Cyclone and I am dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what is... we know about this thing is it had three liquors and four liqueurs. They didn't specify anything. Just no, to... but I mean, they, you know, they had, uh, the uh, average bar had fairly limited uh, base liquors then. Uh, I mean, when I've been my reconstruction of this drink, I went with cognac, rye whiskey, and apple brandy. Apple brandy because it's Philly, and that's uh, that's a Jersey and South Jersey. Yeah. So, but I mean, is that right? Who knows? Who knows? And the liqueurs, and the liqueurs could be anything. They very, I mean. The only real liqueurs that were mm. in common use were like uh, maraschino, curacao, and brand new in the market were Benedictine and like yellow chartreuse. Okay, that's four. Four yeah. liqueurs. Uh, okay, maybe. This was what year you think? Like uh, 1881. And then it, it, all this, uh, all the accounts of his behavior are 10 years later. Mm. Uh, and there just really wasn't, you know, it's they're working with a, 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 a smaller palette than we have, and they didn't tend to mix gin with other things. So oh. probably not gin in there, but I don't know. I went and I bought at great expense the little memorial booklet of Dooner's Hotel. Nothing. No recipe. You know, it's the same kind of thing that you've been, that you went through, Jeff, except I've been doing this now for like 10 years or more and mm, dead end, you know? So so if anybody who's listening is out there and has a cocktail book from Dooner's Inn in Philadelphia, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear if if you've got the (laughs) Cyclone Punch. 
Or if I your mean, family makes like a bunch. Every once in a while, you get lucky. Uh, the other, other one that I was having trouble with is the Boo Snooker. Oh, right. And the Boo Snooker is this drink that was on the menu of the uh, Hotel New Yorker in, in New York in their Manhattan room. And on the menu, they're like, you know, they give you what's in all the other drinks except that one. It's a secret. The boo- And this is, we're talking in the 1930s, right? And I'm looking and looking and nothing. And then I, I, I see that the drink turns up in other cities. They're making it mm. in like at the Cheerio Lounge in Helena, Montana, of all places. They're making it at the St. James in Ironwood, Michigan, which is a huge bar town at the base of the Upper Peninsula. But, mm. you know, and so somehow the recipe had gotten out right. or people were were doing something with it, but nothing, you know. And the Hotel New Yorker, uh, all they, they 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 told the reporter it was an ultra exclusive aperitif and the ingredients had been guarded so zealously that nobody knows what goes into it. Right? Uh, it's one of those things said to have originated in Washington at one of the embassies. Yeah, right. Mm. Uh, that's always like it seems oh, like yeah, smoke and mirrors. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They also say if you have too many of them consecutively, you'll experience the sensation of having a thousand armed octopus, a hammer in each hand, wrapping you on the noggin. Ooh. <laughs> That's a lot of arms for an octopus to keep track of. I got to say, uh... whatever. And then uh, when you ask the bar captain there, he just laughs. So, you know, I've been looking for recipes for this forever. And then last year, I'm looking for something else on Google Books. And I come across a snippet from the Cornell alumni news that I was hit from, okay. from 1982, where uh, it's the class of 1931 notes. Hmm. And uh, Kevin E. Howard writes, uh, I guess he was a guy in the class of 31, that while he was searching him. for a table uh, during the class reunion, he was introduced to a very congenial couple whose names he did not get. This is kind of how these stories always begin. Upon learning that Kevin had worked at the Hotel New Yorker as director of food and beverage standardization, uh, he says, the charming lady asked if I knew the formula for the New Yorker's famous Boo Snooker drink. And, you know, Kevin could only remember two of the ingredients. So he goes home and he looks it up. So he still had the bar book Uh and he prints it just in the Cornell alumni magazine. So what what was the Boo Snooker? This is the most normal drink imaginable. His recipe, which I think you got to double to make anything out of it is a quarter ounce of fresh lime juice. Nobody uses a quarter ounce of lime juice, right? A half teaspoon of sugar. Okay. Uh, stir those together. That makes sense. That's how they used to do things. Add a lump of ice, a quarter ounce of uh, Marie Brizard cherry brandy, a half ounce Myers Jamaican rum, hmm. three quarters ounce old Paducah bourbon. I mean, we get that all the time, right? Sure. Old Paducah. I know, Noah, that's one of your favorite brands. It is. A whole slice of lemon and a cherry. And then you stir it and fill it up with soda water. I tried making this. Uh, Extremely dull drink. If you double it, it will get you drunk, though. So there's that. But I think something is is missing from there. Uh, I don't know what. It kind of works together fine. It tastes okay. It's just a little Sugar, the lemon... The whiskey. Yeah, okay, lime juice, I mean, sugar, you know, uh, cherry yeah. brandy, rum, 
bourbon, rum and bourbon. You, you could those work together. It sounds like a long. It's like a, a Long Island iced tea, but made with brown spirits instead of water. Yeah, spirits. right, right. But it, it needs, you know, it needs something else in there, and I don't know what. Right. I think you need a dash, two dashes and a dot of number four and maybe one of number two. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're going to have to find out what they were using in place of like dashes and spices. Exactly. In New York, you know, it was probably cocaine. I mean, everybody knows that. It could also be that the secret ingredient was just sheer ballyhoo, you know. I mean, maybe yeah. that's sure too. So, yeah. I mean, I've run a room a BS. A lot of very proudly served signature drinks that just ended up being. Da- I mean, a, a perfect example is if I know you all know this book, which I found in a used bookstore in the eighties. Um, Ted Saucier's Bottoms Up. Oh yeah. yes. There's a sure. lot of crappy drinks in there that were the signature drink, you know. The, oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. Serve of the Waldorf Hotel or whatever. And yeah. it was nothing. You know, well, absolutely. that post-war period was hard, too, because they tended to simplify the drinks a lot. If you look at, like, pre-war recipes and post-war recipes for yeah. some of these drinks, the post-war ones have, have shed a lot of ingredients. I mean, mm-hmm. partly because you couldn't get them during the war, but also partly because people's tastes weren't as refined in drinks. Yeah. But, you know, that Ballyhoo factor, uh, William Schmidt, the only William, the second most famous bartender of the 19th century after Jerry Thomas, he had a drink called the Hobson Cannonball, and it was just a fizz. Mm-hmm. And how it was a cannonball is he stomped his foot really hard twice uh, behind the bar when he poured it for you. <laughs> I love it. It's like drinking a shot. Bam, bam. <laughs> Oh, my God. I admire his chutzpah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Dave touched on something that's actually uh, kind of melancholy, which is that, uh, I mean, Dave's d- dealing with pre-prohibition or 19th century. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, all you're doing is you can't talk to anybody living. No. You know? right. Almost everybody I talked to back then who revealed these recipes to me is is gone now. Yeah. And yeah. Been gone for quite some time. You know, and it's like... um. Harry Yee, the guy who invented the Blue Hawaii and a bunch of other things, he just passed away. He was 104 years old. You know, wow. And you don't um, get older than that. Well, not very, very rarely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, they're all gone. You know, and, and if I tried to do this now, if I started out now, trying harder. To what was in possible, the yeah. it, it wouldn't. You'd have nobody tell you about the flavor company, you know, although yeah. so many of the I mean, that was the problem with the Cyclone Punch is. Like there's no place to start, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just start at a dead end and you pretty much stay there, you know. Just yeah. Like yeah. You putz around, you find what's available online, you you look through every cocktail book, uh, which is possible, you know, there aren't that many yeah. from the time. Uh you look through magazines and newspapers and then you're done. You know, we we need to come up with a, a lost drink called the red herring. Whether <laughs> red herring, <laughs> well, we can we can we can drink oh, that oh, when oh, we're oh. drinking Zamboanga monkeys tails. <laughs> right. And not all of these ingredients, these secret ingredients, were all that great. I've just recently found out that there was something that Don used when he was in Hawaii in the forties and fifties called X twenty seven X dash twenty seven. It's just bar foam, you know, just like a processed bottled bar foam, you know, just like like frothy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. I think time for perhaps a zombie or a, I'd say a boost snicker, but it sounds like the zombie it, it, was. We'll tasty. work on it. You know, uh, we'll I, work I, on I'm going to get it better. 
there are cocktail mysteries out there that our listeners are trying to solve. We'd love to hear about them. Uh, Absolutely. Message us on Twitter. We'd love to help with your cocktail mysteries yep. and, and hear about your research. But Jeff, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Pleasure was mine. We'll, yes. uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll see you soon. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.